You are entering the Freedom Hut. President Trump made a compelling case to the American people last night for his entire agenda, but specifically why we need that wall. Now we have a deal on the table. Is it a good idea? Should Trump accept it? And also, what is the latest on the Trump Mueller Russia delusion? We will break that down for you and much more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. This weekend, some Democrats even proposed a measure that would force the release of thousands of criminal illegal aliens, including dangerous felons. We're setting the stage. We're setting the table. We're doing whatever we have to do. The wall's being built. It'll continue. It's going at a rapid pace. Drugs pouring through the border kills tens of thousands of innocent Americans a year, including heroin, meth, cocaine, fentanyl, so many others. They come through the southern border. I want people to come in to our country, but they have to come in legally and they have to come in through merit, through merit, so they can help us build our country. Make America great again. Pretty soon, we're going to be seeing keep America great. Keep America great. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. President Trump last night in El Paso, Texas, getting the crowd fired up there. Where are we on the border wall negotiations? Single most important issue today, most important issue in the country right now. We are days away from Valentine's Day. Hey, everybody. Hopefully you've gotten your roses from your rose authority. You know what that is. Uh, But we have Valentine's Day coming up here. And then we have a possible shutdown day, I believe on Saturday, uh, when you would have once again hundreds of thousands of government employees that would have to go without pay for a period of time. This comes after the single longest government shutdown in U.S. history. And there is a lot of a lot of wrangling from both sides of what all this would mean. So here's what we've got. Here's where we are right now. And I don't think President Trump even, I don't think he knew about this before he went on stage last night. Essentially, the offer on the table from this group in Congress is to extend the fence that are fencing that already exists by 55 miles. So that would mean that the barrier that is currently on the southern border is 654 miles would go somewhere in the 677 to 681 mile range. Uh, 55 new miles in total of barriers could go up in two areas of the Rio Grande Valley sector in Texas. This is this is what Congress is now putting forward to avert another government shutdown. The deal would allocate $1.38 billion for those physical barriers, bollard fencing and levee walls, And the left is going to say Mexico's not paying for it and it's not really a wall. That's all that's all just noise. That's all sound and fury signifying nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Um, What's more important, what is important here is that there is funding for physical barriers that are needed at the border. Trump wanted five point seven billion dollars. 
Now, there are a couple of ways to, to see this from this bipartisan group of 17 lawmakers that $1.38 billion that includes some physical barriers is, you know, a, a, a good start to things. But let's all remember that if it's $1.38 billion for fiscal year 2019, that means that there's not going to be any more funding that comes up in the election year, obviously. So that means it's $1.38 billion for Trump's first four years in office. That's not good. I'm not saying that this means he should outright reject the deal, but it's not a good deal. The 55 miles of border fence that would be added to this, uh, that would be a part of this deal, assuming that it all went through, would give us some data to work with because I think it would help a lot. You would see the San Diego effect, so to speak. Uh, that you've seen where San Diego put up a border barrier. I saw it. It was there. It works. The Border Patrol swears by it and wants more of it. You'd have that in the Rio Grande sector, which would be very helpful for trying to get more of this elsewhere on the border. But what happens if you get a Democrat? 55 miles. I mean, it'll it'll help, but the problem is much, much bigger than this. I, I don't know how you all... Oh, you all just came out there. I don't know how you all feel about this. But I, I think that this is it's a it's a bare minimum, a bare minimum deal. And, and Trump has even said that, you know, he's he's not thrilled about this. Um, you know, he says it's not not the greatest thing he's seen. Play clip 19. I don't think you're going to see a shutdown. I wouldn't want to go to it now. If you did have it, it's a Democrat's fault. And I accepted the first one and I'm proud of what we've accomplished because people learned during that shutdown all about the problems coming in from the southern border i accept i've always accepted it but this one i would never accept if it happens but i don't think it's going to happen but this would be totally on the democrats he's saying this one's on the democrats because they're just they are being unreasonable this is unreasonable if they're willing to pay for 55 miles of fence because it's needed border patrol says they want a lot more than that you know, why why can't we have more money for this? What's really the you know, when you when you get down to it, the reason they won't give Trump the money is because they don't want Trump to get a political win here and because they favor lawlessness. They favor this state of lawlessness at the border. They like it. They think that they benefit from it. And that's why they take the steps. They they take the stances on all of this that they do. Here's. Here's Gavin Newsom, who is just a, a shameless, a shameless lib. I mean, as as a, as left wing loon as you're going to find in, in any statewide office anywhere. He's a governor of California. Here, here's what he has said about how he's pulling National Guard troops who do help the border. People who go on TV and say National Guard troops, the border don't do anything, don't know what don't know what the heck they're talking about. They're lying or they don't know what they're talking about or both. I spoke to Border Patrol. They say it is very helpful to have additional logistic support, surveillance support. They can do things that make the job easier. And Border Patrol is stretched thin. And the drug cartels and the human smugglers are taking advantage of it. The, the drug smugglers that are poisoning cities across this country, wherever you are in this, in this country right now listening to this show, there is lethal fentanyl and carfentanyl on the streets tied to the Mexican cartels that the Democrats don't want to take sufficient action to fight. 
That's just what's happening. They don't want to do it. They don't want to make it harder for them. But Gavin Newsom is saying, well, let's make it let's actually make it harder for Border Patrol and Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Let's make it harder for them to do their job. And it's all because there is no crisis. Play 13. The crisis on the border uh, is a manufactured crisis. We are not interested in participating in this political theater. I think it's nothing more than political theater. If you're going to add 3,750 troops to the border, why do you need the National Guard? The, the whole thing is ludicrous. Everybody that I talk to at the border who is being honest because it's their job to secure it thinks that Gavin Newsom and his ilk are ludicrous. Thinks that the state of California, which its legislature has tried to criminalize as a private citizen assisting immigration and customs enforcement federal agents in doing their jobs. California is complicit in illegal immigration as a state. That is what is happening here. And people who don't or don't think or say there is no crisis don't know what the heck they are talking about. Here's a Border Patrol agent who spoke at a uh, presser with the Trump, Art Del Cueto. Here's what he says about it. Play 18. Now we have an actual crisis at the border. We have caravan after caravan that are forming. We have unprecedented amounts of drugs that are coming into the country. We have more agents being attacked than we have before. And I know some of the news articles that are going out there are saying, oh, the numbers are going down or not going down. I encourage everyone out there that sees these news articles to look at the dates because the numbers were going down when President Trump first took over. And that's because of rhetoric alone. He helped lower those numbers. But now we're seeing those numbers go back up and they haven't stopped going up. There's a reason caravans keep forming. Uh, you know, they're not forming because they just want to get down to the line and then stop there. These caravans are forming because they are coming through. For those who say there's no crisis, and again, there are either no nothings or liars at the border. Right now, this year, we are on track to have half a million illegal crossers for the year. I mean, we're getting back to George W. Bush era illegal crossing numbers, which was a real peak because the Bushes were not good on immigration, by the way, as an aside. Um, but the system that we have is being overwhelmed. This is intentional. This is a strategy. This is not a side product. This is not just happenstance. The system is being overwhelmed. Here's how this plays out. Right now, if you show up at our southern border, the caravans know this. The caravans are taking advantage of this. If you show up at our southern border and you know what to say, there is an almost certain future of being let into the United States with a, a promise to appear in court for your immigration hearing as an asylum seeker at some point in the future. We have a backlog right now of 900,000 immigration cases. By this time next year, our backlog, based on the numbers we're seeing right now, is going to be a million and a half, maybe two million. I mean, we can we do not have the resources to process all of these people that are they, they are illegal aliens in waiting, as in the moment they don't show up for their hearings, the moment that they don't qualify for asylum, then they're illegals and they're supposed to be deported. They're not going to be deported. The system is going to come 
to a screeching halt. That is why the Democrats want fewer ICE beds, fewer immigration and custom enforcement beds. They want the system to come to a screeching halt. This is cla- it is classic Alinsky. This is just bring the system down to get what you want. The anarchy and the lawlessness that is created by all this Democrats are in favor of. They are complicit in this. They want this. I'm sorry. I'm not playing this game anymore of Democrats are opposed to illegal immigration too. That is a lie. They benefit from and are ideologically and emotionally sympathetic to, favorable to illegal immigration, illegal alien entry into the United States. The Congress does not have the backbone to take action on this. The president can't do anything about it because he already has tried and the courts have have blocked him. And Congress won't take action to change the asylum policy. What you're going to have based on the current for those who say there's no crisis, they're going to keep saying that until the crisis is so bad. It's already a crisis, but the crisis is so bad that by the time even the Democrats can't ignore the reality staring them in the face, then they're going to say, well, you're right. We've got, gosh, we've got, you know, a million, two million asylum seekers in the country. But, you know, they they're good. They're good Americans, too. Now they're better than normal Americans. Let's just let's just amnesty them. Let's add this to the DACA and DAPA conversation. That's where this is heading. They are building up a reserve of illegals in waiting to be legalized. They will not be deported. That's what is happening. These people are all skipping the immigration line, gaming the system, lying about their credible fear, lying about why they're coming into the country because they've been told to. And I've been told by the people who know that this is going on. And you have idiots like Gavin Newsom who are saying there's no crisis. What do you what do you call a system where anyone who shows up to the border and has a basic familiarity with the massive gaping holes in our system right now, all they have to do is say, I got a credible fear. Then they got to process you. The law says they process you. They let you free. They say, we're going to give you a court date. Please show up. The enforcement against those who don't show up is almost zero. The number of people deported who don't get asylum to come to these hearings is tiny. Over 90% of those who show up and say, I have a credible fear, get to stay in the country. There are 50,000 a month coming into the country. 50,000. Who's going who's gonna to say in a year when it's a half a million, a million, and the backlog in the courts is so big, who's going to say, yeah, you know what, let's round all of them up and deport them because this really was a scam. You know the answer. The answer is nobody. We are being defrauded. The American people are being defrauded by both parties on this issue. And if we don't take action, the crisis is going to become so big that we will be in an, in a conversation nationally about the inevitability of an open border status. That is where we are heading. That is where we are going. And there are Republicans complicit in this thing, too. I, I As you can tell, I have not yet begun to radio. So stay with me. I don't think they're ever going to accomplish the abolish ICE that they've been saying they're going to do. But I've been saying what they're going to do. They're going to bankrupt ICE to make them ineffective. They, they'll take their money away so they can't do the job. I mean, the number they put on the table, like 32,000 cap beds. Mm-hmm. Understand, ICE is currently at 47,000, which means they're 15,000 over the cap. Now, we're halfway through the year. To get to that 32,000 by the end of the year, they're going to have to go 15,000 below 
uh, 32. So that means if they're 15,000 above, they got 15,000 below, ICE will have to release 30,000 people from custody. 30,000. I mean, what would that guy know about ICE? He was only the ICE director until recently. So, I mean, it's not like he knows what he... Oh, oh, wait. No, that's right. He knows exactly what he's talking about. That's Tom Homan, who I've had some great green room discussions over at Fox about immigration. I mean, really, I, I like it because I can just go at him with all kinds of questions, and, and he appreciates that I'm, I've really become a student of the issue, and I really care, and... You know, we we had a whole conversation in the green room at Fox about third party safe agreement where you wait for your immigration hearing on the other side of the you know the Mexico side of the U.S. Mexico border and how we could implement that. And, but the, the, the important point here is Democrats know exactly what they're doing. This is none of this is an accident. You know, they want to make it so that there is lax to no enforcement of immigration in the interior. And they want to make it that there are giant gaping holes in our border policy so that people can just show up, turn themselves in, say the magic words, I have a credible fear, and that's it. That's all she wrote. 50,000 people a month on on schedule here for a half million a year. These are big numbers. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people who are come who are unvetted. We don't know what their deal is. You know, I, I love how the Democrats thing is. I mean, we only have 1,600 murders committed by illegal aliens who are currently in custody. You know, I'd like to see them say that to the families of those 1,600 people. You could fill a small stadium with the families of people who have been killed by illegal aliens in this country. But Democrats are like, there's no problem with illegal aliens. They're better than Americans. They commit fewer crimes than Americans. This is one of and this is also why there's so much there's so much dishonesty, so many lies around this issue from the left, from the media and from a lot of Republicans, too. This is a scam. This is a giant fraud. The illegal alien scam. It's been perpetrated against the American people, against our wishes and against our will for 30 years now. And finally, finally, we are having an honest conversation about the issue. At least some of us are. And the Democrats know they got to stop that right away. I think they've got to look at the details. The Office of Management and Budget has probably found four or five billion dollars that they can reprogram. And the president could, by next week, sign the congressional bill, keep the government open, pocket about a billion seven or a billion three in the bill itself and uh, transfer an additional four or five billion so he would get the barrier he wants. Uh, the country would see the government stay open. Uh, the Democrats would have gotten nothing except to prove that uh, they're insanely uh, anti-blocking illegal immigrants. I mean, the idea that they wanted to cut 7,000 beds that detain illegals uh, is the sort of stuff that I think is driving the Democratic Party towards a disaster in 2020. I think Newt's right. I think that while we're often talking about the dollar amount here that Trump may or may not be able to get, it does not take into account, or rather that discussion does not take into account how much the conversation over immigration has changed and how people like like me now, for example, when I have to go up against generally, you know, fake conservatives or who are never Trumpers or libs out there, um, they... You know, they lose on the wall. 
They lose on the wall debate. They used to think that the wall was a mic drop, shut down the conversation moment. The wall doesn't work. Actually, you idiot, the wall works, okay? Fences work, barriers work, walls work. This is very basic logic, never mind history at play, because we know from the walls that exist that it works. But I I think that that the Trump administration should also, even if they get funding, I like where Newt's head's at here, even if they get funding, they should go the route of, okay, well, let's just appropriate some DOD funds for this or whatever whatever it is we have to do. However it is that, you know, I, I mean, I can't pretend to be a, a government budgetary expert, you know, who, who knows how that stuff really works. Um, but however they can do it, they should do it. The president has, a, has a, a, a right to do this as written in legislation. The president has a right to, uh, to construct barriers and, and fencing to prevent the uh, in introduction of illegal drugs into America onto American soil. There are statutes about this. There are statutes about the president declaring a national emergency. Those statutes exist for a reason. And people keep saying, well, they're going to tra- challenge it in court. OK, but maybe the Supreme Court takes it up pretty quickly. I mean, maybe, you know, y- you got to go through these processes. You can't just say we're not going to get there. So let's not try. So maybe he takes the one point five billion and is able to do more than just that. Um, that that would be and also it'll show I mean, if, if the Ninth Circuit jumps in and says, oh, you can't do this with DOD funds or whatever it may be, however, the, the administration goes about it, at least then we'll know. That the Democrats are going to have to defend their they're going to have to defend their love affair with illegal illegal immigration in 2020, because that's what the Democratic Party now has. They are all in on illegal immigration. They think it's great. They think it's great. They won't say that because the American people are not. Solid majority of the American people are like, no, we actually want immigration law to be respected. Solid majorities in the in the 60 something percent range is not not a, not a close call. By the way, I was talking, you know, we had uh, Gavin Newsom. Uh, we, we played a clip from that guy before governor of California. He has just announced that this is from on Fox News today. He is pulling the plug on the state's high speed rail project from L.A. to San Francisco it was a decade behind schedule and billions of dollars in the red. A $77 billion bullet train, folks. They have bailed on this thing. They how how much how much of this got built? You know, how much of this got done? They're willing to spend $77 billion so rich yuppies in LA and San Francisco don't have to go through the TSA and get on a plane. But they won't spend five billion dollars so that we have an end to or at least a dramatic reduction in illegal immigration. That just gives you a sense where the Democrats monetary priorities lie. And this this bullet train also keep in mind that in the green we're going to make fun. Of course, guys, you know, I'm gonna make fun of the Green New Deal in a little bit. The Green New Deal, which is so preposterous now that Democrats only defense of it is to lie about it, to lie over and over again about it. The Green New Deal was talking about the expansion of rail to replace air travel. Well, if we can't after (laughs) with a 10 year delay and a projected 77 billion dollar budget for a train that would connect two cities in one state on the West Coast. Does anyone really think we are anywhere near being able to replace plane travel with train travel? It is a shame that. Train travel in this country isn't cheaper and, and nicer than it is. I will say that. I mean, Amtrak is like something that we've borrowed from the Soviet Union. 
as I explained to you yesterday, we've borrowed the Soviet Union's policies about women in the workplace and, and child care provided by the state. We've also kind of borrowed the Soviet Union's train system, which is a shame. I mean, the, the Amtrak, the Amtrak Northeast Regional Food Service car is is like something from the 1980s transported to modern day that hasn't changed a bit. And still and still they lose. I think it's 10 million dollars a year in food service cost. So they're charging you like eight dollars for a frozen burrito. That's probably, you know, been sitting there for three years and and they still can't make any money. It is a it it is an astonishing, astonishing fail on the part of of liberals. But nonetheless, um, by the way, I also want to we had uh Tom Homan made a few good points that I want. I don't know if I have time for all of it here, but um, here's what he said about the spending bill and and what what's happening. Play 15. A part of the what they're not talking about is is at the end of the year they want to phase out all family beds, which means every family that crosses that border illegally will be released directly from the border, not put into a family detention center where we screen them for measles, chicken pox, lice, before they're released in the community. So there, there's things that we don't know about this bill yet, but I can tell you. If ICE currently has 49,000 people in detention, not including uh, families. So whatever that number is, let's say let's say it's 42,000. If they got 49,000, oh, I got I got a bail on Tom here, but he's he's giving you more of the details. And and it's just he knows that this is all a game. The Democrats are playing, man. They don't want law enforcement to be able to do its job. We will be right back. I watched his news conference. It was pretty sad. It was a sad look. Let them figure out what to do. But I, I felt actually I felt sorry for his wife and his wife saved him from doing, as you know, Michael Jackson. I think that the Republicans are going to do very well in Virginia. I think a lot of things are happening in Virginia. I think Virginia is ready to flip over to something. And I'll tell you, African-Americans are coming to the Republican Party like nobody can believe. I hope what Trump is saying is true. Uh, I, I hope that there are more and more African-Americans who realize that, you know, Trump just he really does just want an America where there's more economic dynamism, productivity, wealth, prosperity, freedom and happiness. I mean, that's that's really what he's trying for everybody of every race. It's really what every conservative wants to. But I mean, that is, you know, Trump's goal is for people to have more freedom and more stuff. You know, more, more material. Yeah, let's be honest, more material wealth. I could use a little more material wealth. I'm sure some of you listening could use a little more material wealth. I mean, you know, this is, and, and I, I, I hope that, that that understanding of the policy, forget about the, forget about the style, focus on the substance. I hope that that understanding of what Trump really stands for is, is going to resonate with, remember, it doesn't have to resonate with all of the black community, although I, I wish it would, but it doesn't have to. If it resonates with, 20% of the black community, it would be an, it would be an electoral lights out for um, the Democrats in 2020. I mean, they'd be they'd be they would be toast. Uh, I mean, I, I'm guessing about that number. I don't even know what it, but the, the Democrats are counting. They count every year and, and every presidential election on having about 90 percent of the black vote. And I think in the Obama years, it was like 98 or 99. So if, if we could take some portion away of that support and man it would be great you know i would i would really like to see uh more of this happening where especially the uh, young african-americans who see what the parties stand for like i i don't like this 
this paternalistic, um, big state, big government approach from the left. I, I want to be my own. I want to be my own boss, so to speak, not just in professionally, but in day to day life. I, I don't need people telling me how to think, what to do. And anyway, it would, it would be great. I hope that's true. Um, that all said, Northam is staying. Northam's not going anywhere, which is amazing that this guy who let's let's all be clear about this is still to this day lying about the fact that he's in a photo I mean, he tried to pull the a kind of a version of the Anthony Weiner where it's like that wasn't Anthony Weiner's, you know what? Um, that wasn't the the, the Weiner, and that didn't last very long. Northam has been like, that's not me in the blackface photo on my yearbook page from my graduation yearbook, and it's the same in all the yearbooks. Yeah, okay, buddy. So he's just a a shameless liar. But you know who is probably going to have to resign? I think is Fairfax, the lieutenant governor, who's an African-American. I think he's in trouble. This is from Fox News Today. Newly revealed Facebook messages show that the second woman accusing Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax of sexual assault was making those allegations in private during the state's 2017 election as she weighed whether to come forward or not. Facebook messages dating back as far as March of 2017 and obtained by Fox News on Tuesday show Meredith Watson commenting on Fairfax's candidacy and telling contacts about the alleged rape. A message from March 19, 2017 read, This is absolutely disgusting. This dude raped me. Uh, the unknown contact responded, Was it reported? And is there something that could be said? Followed by a message asking if she would even want to say something. Watson replied that she, quote, didn't report it after how the university responded when she reportedly complained about an earlier alleged rape by former NBA player Corey uh, Maggette while they were students at Duke University 20 years ago. Uh, so this is all in this Fox News piece. I, I Here is why this, here's why he may have to resign. And you have all the different Democrat, uh, all the different Democrat, you know, intersectional pieces colliding here in a sense, because they really want to maintain the right to destroy Republicans with, non-credible allegations of sexual assault. These allegations against Fairfax are entirely credible. I believe them. I, I don't know why would the, you know, now I start asking the questions, why would these women who truly have nothing to gain because the Democratic Party is not going to, they're not going to go on the speaking tour. They're not going to be on the cover of Time magazine. They're not going to be lauded as heroes as Blasey Ford was. Oh, the other two accusers of Kavanaugh, of course, they just forgot about them because they were loons and they were liars. But Blasey Ford, you know, became this big hero to the left, as I said she would. And and the left was lying about that during the she has nothing to gain. You remember when I was here on the show, I said the Kavanaugh accuser, the first one, Blasey Ford, she had a lot to gain. She's now a national name. She's a hero to the left forever. Every every party she goes to in uh, wherever she has that house in California. I mean, every time she goes to the grocery store, there are going to be women who come up to her and say, thank you so much for what you did, even though she's a liar. She's a disturbed person. I think she's a liar. Full stop. Um, Fairfax. Fairfax has two women accusing him that I think uh, are entirely credible because of all the different factors that I'm I'm working through with you now. And his actions surrounding this are very suspicious and weird to me. And I, I just would note that the Democrats can't figure out what is what is a bigger... They view this through this. This is the Democrat prism that they're looking at this ongoing debacle in Virginia through. 
Is it worse to during a blackface controversy with Northam and and uh, Herring? Is it a worse look for the Democrat Party to have the black lieutenant governor resign on obviously unrelated issues? But that's the circumstances right now of the news cycle or uh, to have a guy who stays in office that will prevent them, prevent Democrats down the line from weaponizing not credible allegations of sexual assault against Republicans. They, that's the, that's what's really happening here. That's the, the back and forth on the left as to what should be uh, the, the end, the end state of all this. I mean, they, they are, as they look at this, they're trying to figure out what is more important for the party and to the party. I know Kirsten Gillibrand, I mean, there have been some prominent Democrats who have said they want Fairfax to resign and, you know, there's also this part of me, though, that says, look at what the look at what the Democrats approach in the Kavanaugh situation. Look what that has unleashed now that we now owe, the the allegation is enough, even though Kavanaugh managed to and only because of his incredible his incredible defense of his honor and his decency in front of his wife, in front of America. The only reason he got through. If he had sort of been a mealy mouth, you know, I don't really know, uh-uh, he would have been called a sex abuser the rest of his life and wouldn't be on the Supreme Court and would probably have been impeached from the D.C. Circuit Court. But he stood tall and he fought back. And man, I was, I'll be honest, I was proud to be, I was proud to be an American that day. I mean, I'm proud every day, but you know what I mean. And, but that created this standard of if somebody is accused of sexual misconduct, of, of a whole wide variety. You know, I don't think anybody said that uh, Al Franken in Minnesota was a was a rapist. They just said that he was a gropey, stick the tongue down the throat, you know, sexual assaulter slash groper and or, you know, sexual abuse. I, I, I don't even know what, you know, he's essentially crossing the line sexually with with women, um, but not quite at the felony level. And, you know, when you actually look at the statutes about this, it does break it down by like body part and what happened. And I mean, that is what the law says. So there is some basis for it, uh, you know, but they they threw him under the bus, too, because they wanted to keep this. They know that this is the same way. I mean, you see this with Democrats, in a lot of things they know they'll fight dirtier. So they like to keep some of these dirty options open. Right. This is why they want donor lists to be public for all kinds of organizations, because they know the media is in their pocket and they will name and shame donors to Republican causes. They also want the Me Too weaponization for any sexual assault claim to be an open pathway for them to destroy any Republican that they want when they really want to do it. So I think Fairfax is is caught up in that in a way that um, I don't, I don't see how he, I don't see how he gets out of it. I mean, he may just sort of stay, but he will be a problem. Uh, he will be a problem for the Democrats for a long time to come because you, you can't, you can't have this guy in office with those very credible. Remember, credible is not proven. It's not the same thing. Those very credible accusations and then have the equivalent of a Kavanaugh scenario without all of us, anybody who's honest and thoughtful in the country saying, Okay, Democrats, you're a bunch of frauds, liars, and hypocrites. Okay, good to know. More coming up. When do you want to spot that burglar? When he's casing your home or after he's already gotten in? 
asked John, whose blink camera alerted him to burglars trying to break in while he and his family were home. Or Shannon, whose blink camera caught a thief stealing packages. I hate people who steal packages, man. It happens all the time. But both times, blink video clips actually were sent to the police to help convict the crooks. Blink motion-activated indoor and outdoor cameras are wire-free. They set up in minutes and run on two AA batteries that last up to two years. And if you're traveling, Blink's live feed option lets you monitor your home and check in on pets from anywhere using the Blink smartphone app. No contracts, no subscriptions, totally affordable, and Blink works with Alexa. Blink camera systems make great gifts, and they're a brilliant way to monitor your package deliveries. Visit BlinkProtect.com buck. Again, BlinkProtect.com. Dot com slash buck. Once again, blinkprotect.com slash buck. Blink is an Amazon company. What if Beto gets a bigger crowd? That seems like... Oh, like, like see, yeah. What? Well, that, that, that's what I'm wondering here. You know, who, who did the advance planning for this? Who said, go to El Paso, Texas, where, where, they don't you, are, like you. where you are overwhelmingly unpopular <laughs> and where Beto O'Rourke might actually have a counter? Is there any place... That's more fun to be than a Trump rally. Is there a... USA! 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 With the proud and incredible and great people of the state of Texas, we will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you, Texas. Thank you. So that was from last night. I mean, it's like Trump gave a rock concert for... He's like a one-man walking Woodstock in terms of the audience that shows up. It's 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 amazing. But you heard at the beginning there, MSNBC, Nicole Wallace, uh, you know, a, a former Bush, a, a former Bush of uh, uh, appointee, or I forget what her job was in the Bush White House. One of, and, and Charlie Sykes, noted, smug, sanctimonious, and not nearly as as smart as he seems to think he is, not even in the same universe, never Trump or Charlie Sykes. I mean, they just said stupid stuff. There they are. They're on, they're on the MSNBC. Charlie Sykes thinks he's a conservative, now writes for the bulwark because they're a bulwark against Trumpism. Yeah, no, he's, he should be Nancy Pelosi's communications director. He does a great job advocating against conservatives, against the right, against Trump, and advocating for Democrats because he's the real conservative. I mean, these never Trumpers, they're gross. What they do is now dishonest. It's unseemly. All right. There are babies' lives at stake here. There is the sovereignty of this country in the middle of a fight for it, it, the fight for whether we will have sovereignty or not, whether we'll have a future as a country or not. And Charlie Sykes wants to sit there, hee hee, like a, like a bunch of high school girls about maybe Beto's rallies can be bigger. Beto's rally was laughable. Beto. Robert O'Rourke. That's right, everybody. Robert. His name is not Beto. He just, you know, this is another guy who trying to be a little edgier, trying to be a little cooler. And you could say, oh, Buck, but, you know, your name isn't Buck. Yeah, my name is Buckman. It's my grand, my great grandmother's maiden name. And in the 80s, if you're born in certain parts of the country, people went by their middle names. I don't want to tell you. It's been my name since I was a little kid. 
But Beto is just trying to be like, hey, I'm like the hipster who's you know multicultural and all this stuff. He's the he's as white as I. He's the whitest dude I can see. He's white as I am, and he's adopting this this Latin nickname to give him a little more street cred. The guy's married to. I mean, somebody somebody corrected me recently. They said, Buck, you need to stop saying he's married to a billionaire. And then they sent me a an estimate from Forbes of the net worth of the family that he married into. And it said they're there. This was a Democrat, by the way, who sent this to me. And it said they're worth, I think, four or five hundred million dollars. So okay, I'm sorry. He's a half billionaire. All right. His wife is an, his wife is a an heiress to a half a billion dollars, maybe not a billion dollars. This this passes for you know for Democrats d- doing their due diligence, and the guy is just such a lightweight. He's a lightweight. What? Why doesn't he just like come out on like a skateboard and just? I'm just I'm better O'Rourke, and I'm just like really I'm really cool, and I just want what's better for America, and I just really believe, and you know I just don't I just don't like walls and stuff. Play clip four. We stand for America. And we stand against walls. We know that there is no bargain in which we can sacrifice some of our humanity to gain a little more security. We know that we deserve and will lose both of them if we do. We stand for the best traditions and values of this country, for our fellow humanity, and who we are when we are at our best, and that's El Paso, Texas. I'm glad the country's here to see us. Oh, we stand for like what is really good and like the best of humanity and like America and and like we're all about like making sure that like we're like really good to people and stuff. This guy, first of all, you never. This is just a rule for life. You never want to be the guy who throws the really lame party across the street from the raging keg party. That was Beto last night. You could have seen there were photos of this and they said that there were 8,000 people to Beto Beto rally. That was the that was the Beto organizer count. I'd say there were about from the photos I saw 12 to 1500 maybe. Trump had max capacity in the arena, 8,000, and probably another six to 8,000 outside the arena. And that's just based on the photos that I saw, okay? So this idea that that you had from Wallace and Sykes, you know, he, 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 Beto's rally might be bigger. Yeah, a fat chance, okay? Beto couldn't even win a Senate seat in Texas against Ted Cruz. So can we stop pretending like he's, he's like a national phenomenon? Because, like, he just, he just reminds a lot of, like, like liberal women in their thirties and forties of like a character from friends that they thought was like really hot. And so they want to vote for him. It's garbage. This guy is, this guy is a nothing burger. He's a nothing burger, but I could have seen him last night, you know, hi guys. Um, my party's running low on alcohol. So like, can, can you just like give me some Zima? Cause like we are some wine coolers. Because I know your party is really crowded, like your Trump party, but like I just need some Zima. Oh, man. Um, we stand against walls. The, you know, one of my favorite questions when dealing with libs, what is what is among my very favorite questions of all? What do you mean, lib? What are you talking? What are you saying? 
There are words coming out, but what are you saying? We stand against walls? Okay. This is like when I asked Max Boot, another fake conservative. It's really just all about him. I mean, he's a, he's a loon. Sykes, Boot, there's a whole bunch of them. Just, I can't believe they were they spent as much time on the right as they did because they clearly have no real ideological uh, ideological brotherhood with the right at all. I mean, it was all just a fraud for professional reasons, I, I guess. Um, but... You know, we stand against walls. I asked Max about this, too. So if walls are racist and walls are immoral, what do we do with the hundreds of fence that we already have? Do those come down? Because they're racist and immoral and they don't work. So why don't we just tear them down? Oh, no, that's a dumb idea. And now we're, we're being told that there might be 55 more miles or 55 additional miles of steel slat fencing put up. Okay, we, if we can do 50, why can't we do 500? Is this a problem in principle? It's not a problem of, of funds because the government has the money to do this. But we stand against walls. This is this is a this is a mindless talking point from somebody who is in no way impressive. There's nothing about this guy. He's just a, a guy who you know uh, sounds like a lib, walks and talks like a lib, and has a wealthy family, so he doesn't have to worry about having a real job. That's just what he is. You know, I mean, he's he's someone who the notion of him being president is both hilarious and terrifying at the same time. I don't think there'd be a report. The rules of the department say no report. I will be shocked if anything regarding the president is made public other than we're done. Know what the case is. There is no case. People in the press say, well, he must have some surprise. He doesn't have, I know exactly what he has. I know exactly what every witness said, what every document said. I know exactly what he has. And I know what, what the conclusion or the result is. There's no basis. There's no exposure. It's been a terrible waste of time. This is one of the greatest frauds this country's ever seen. John Dowd laying it down. This guy is not messing around. Um... I think that, you know, you get former White House attorney John Dowd there saying that this that this should not be released. I just look at it from the perspective of what it will mean, you know, what it will mean for the people that are currently uh, not not implicated in this, but that it has information on what does it mean for Trump? What does it mean for those around him? And, And here's the problem that we face. No matter what the report says or does not say, no matter what information it contains or it, they will, the media, the Democratic Party will continue to spread lies and disinformation about the Russia collusion probe and all of these investigations of President Trump. They are debasing the law openly actively with strategic intent they are debasing the law by using lawfare against this president that is what is happening here and they won't stop they have never been interested in getting the truth i mean that's why i'm i'm trying to prepare any conservatives who will listen including colleagues of mine in the business who think, oh, the Mueller report, it's going to, you know, a Mueller report, and then, you know, we'll move on. Oh, no, no, we're not moving. They're not moving on to anything. When Mueller does or does not release his report, doesn't matter. When it is clear that there are no collusion charges against Trump or 
any of the people that they've been telling us, oh, they're going to get Donald Trump Jr., oh, they're going to get, you know, name somebody, oh, they're going to get Kellyanne Conway or somebody in the White, it doesn't matter. And they've been speculating about this for quite a long time. But, you know, really they wanted to get Trump himself. Or they at least wanted Manafort or Stone or Corsi or one of these guys to get nailed doing something that is an illegal effort to, to do something with regard to the election. Not illegal, oh, I didn't file my taxes properly. Who cares? They wanted to get them with something to justify this, but you're going to see, and this is really frustrating, and I just want you to be prepared. They already have a built-in failsafe for this. They are going to say that the Russia collusion investigation was really, get ready for it, was really all about protecting the integrity of our elections. I know you want to barf as I'm saying it to you, and you should, because you know that's not what this is about, but that's we never saw the scope of the Mueller probe. We don't know what the full authorization of it really was. And yet we all know, based on the series of events that led to the Mueller probe, that this was always about getting Trump. The Mueller's charges against those Russians, that was ridiculous. That was a, it was a, a purely political play. It was charging Russian nationals on a counterintelligence basis for stuff that they're never going to see, you know, they're never going to see the inside of a courtroom for, they're never going to be extradited, it's laughable, and he knows that. So, but you see, they they did that in part to construct this narrative of seriousness about the investigation, because you always hear people say, oh, there have been, you know, 20-some-odd people indicted as part of, yeah, and half of them are, you know, a bunch of dudes in, in Moscow, in the basement of some building who were putting up fake Facebook accounts, okay? I don't think anybody sleeps more soundly at night because of any of that. And they shouldn't, because it means nothing. But now, the, the way to save face, after all the hysterics, after all of the, the craziness in the media, I mean, you know, uh, people saying things like, you know, What's her name? Louise Mensch, that the Grand Marshal of the Supreme Court is about to arrest. She had her own website for a while, folks. I mean, she, this, I mean, a website that people actually read. She was the editor in chief. Eh. But, you know, that she's uh, that the Grand Marshal of the Supreme Court is going to arrest Trump any day now. She went cuckoo. She went. Uh, and there are a bunch of people that were just this guy. I think his name is uh, Eric Garland on Twitter. I'd never heard of this guy before. He's got a huge Twitter following now. Just a complete loon on the Trump-Russia stuff. I mean, just living in some other, some other universe. You know, not, not, not a, a connection to reality whatsoever about how this is, what's happening here. But all the people in the press that bought this stuff, all the CNN journos and MSNBC panels and the correspondents and all the serious talk from, uh, you know, little tiny Stephanopoulos on, on ABC... All that about collusion and Trump and he's just going to take down the administration. That's all going nowhere as well. You know what they're going to say? Oh, well, this was about protecting the integrity of our elections and making sure that Russian interference in our elections can't happen again. Those are both lies. One, this was never about understanding the Russian. That, 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 could have, that investigation could have been done without a special counsel. 
could have been done by the DOJ. The only reason, the only rationale for a special counsel was that you needed somebody that was independent of the normal executive branch chain of command because Trump was implicated. That's the only reason. You don't need a special counsel to investigate Russia collusion. You don't need it. I'm sorry, Russian interference, rather. You don't need it. You don't need it. So it doesn't even make any sense, but they're just going to hope that the, 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 the disinformation campaign here just put out so many lies and so much garbage that people can't figure out what's what. People can't decipher, and people we get tired. They wear us down. That's part of disinformation. They wear you down. You have jobs. You have lives. You have families. You can't, you can't sit around, you know. Oh, I mean, hopefully I do it for you to some extent here, but, you know, you can't sit around and parse through all this stuff. And I get it, and you shouldn't because it's all nothing. But if you try to dig into this and understand what's true, and you just find that it's just smokescreen after smokescreen, and, uh, and the dishonesty is, it's, it's just stunning. It is truly stunning what, uh, what the left has, has managed to do here. And now they're going to say that it was always just about uh, the Russian interference in the election. And without missing a beat, the Democrat House, Democrat-controlled House, is going to pivot to Trump's taxes, Trump Tower deals. Trump, I mean, they're just going to Trump Hotel, you know, Trump steaks, Trump, Trump tie bars, you know, you, everything. They're just going to create all these investigations of this guy. It's never going to go anywhere. But they understand that the, the mere existence of the investigation becomes its own propaganda tactic. Oh, did you know the Southern District of New York is investigating, you know, this aspect of Trump or that? You know, look at what happened with the National Enquirer and the porn star payoffs. They're never going to stop. I'm here to tell you that they're never they're never going to stop because it was never about the truth. And so even when we come to the end of this and get the closest thing that any of them can reasonably expect would be the truth from the Mueller probe, that there was no Russia collusion, it's not going to not going to slow this down. The anti-Trump mania not going to stop it at all. In fact, in some ways, it might even get kind of worse because then it will just be a race to the bottom for various Democrats in Congress to start, and mind you, a lot of Democrat lefty prosecutors sitting in places like the Southern District of New York who are going to know that this is a great way to make a name for yourself in a place like New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, D.C. You know, a great way to make a name for yourself is to find some investigation of Trump that you can start, that you can get away with, that your supervisors will sign off on. So... And if anyone tried to stop it, you know, then you go forward, you give all these interviews on CNN. Oh, they're stifling me and I'm just trying to do oversight, just trying to protect our institutions. These people are dangerously dishonest and that's not going to change anytime soon. We'll be right back. The fact is that the real collusion was between Hillary and the Democrats and the other side with Russia. That's where the collusion is. That's starting to make a lot more sense. But that's where the collusion is. With the Democrats and with Russia and with others. And by the way, there's also collusion between the Democrats and the fake news right here. Trump was on fire last night in El Paso, Texas. The real collusion, he says, between Russia and the Democrats. 
Well, we've got somebody who is a true expert on that particular topic, among many others. We're joined by Greg Jarrett. He is a Fox News legal analyst. The paperback version of his best-selling book, The Russia Hoax, The Illicit Scheme to Clear Hillary Clinton and Frame Donald Trump, is out today. I recommend it to you all. Mr. Jarrett, great to have you back. Hey, Buck, great to be with you. Always a pleasure. So tell me, where do you see us right now in this whole Russia collusion delusion I have heard from sources here in D.C. that it is, in fact, the case that we are, barring some unforeseen event, going to be seeing the end of the Mueller probe very soon, as in weeks, not months. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know if you believe that or not, but also I am seeing journalists who are starting to run with this. Well, they didn't disprove collusion either, which is quite a standard. What do you see happening? Yeah, that's sort of a crazy spin. Um, the, the, the media is now depressed and apoplectic that even Democrats on the Senate Intelligence Committee admitted today that uh, Senator uh, Burr was correct when he said, after two years, we have come up with no evidence of collusion. And his committee you know, interviewed more than 200 people from multiple countries, uh, examined 300,000 pages of documents. They came up with not a shred of evidence. And that's consistent with the House Intelligence Committee as well. So, you know, I and I have to believe that whatever Burr came up with, no evidence of collusion, is more reliable than anything Robert Mueller will come up with because the Senate Intel Committee has direct access to classified information that Mueller doesn't have access to. So, you know, after a couple of years now, it turns out it was all the Russia hoax, which is the title of my book. And every day, information seems to come out that only corroborates the thesis of my book. Do you have a, a, a strong opinion, one way or the other, on whether the, first of all, should Mueller release whatever the report is? Because my understanding from people I speak to at the, at the Department of Justice is that it's really up to bar the incoming attorney general's discretion, assuming he, you know, all, all goes according to plan with that. Um, and, you know, I've heard two schools of thought on this. On the one hand, it's a prosecutor's document. It's not supposed to be fair uh, and even handed. It's just whatever they found in looking for crimes. Uh, on the other hand, people say, well, if they don't release it, then Democrats, and I know this will happen, will just say, well, there's a lot of bad stuff in there. We just don't get to see it. And of course, then there'll be the leak. So what do you think of all that? Well, you're absolutely right. The special counsel regulations are quite specific. They say that um, whatever information uh, that is uh, gathered by a special counsel uh, is to be delivered to the attorney general. Um, and, you know, a lot of that information contains some classified uh, documents, and, and that, of course, would be protected. So it's, it's up to the uh, discretion of the attorney general, who will be William Barr very shortly, and, you know, he said in his confirmation hearings that he favors transparency, that uh, consistent with the regulations, he'll try to uh, provide the public with as much information as he possibly can. But, you know, it, it may be possible that Mueller won't even write a report, but simply provide an accounting for his prosecutorial decisions, um, in which case um, there wouldn't actually be much to report because all of the people that have been indicted or pled have nothing whatsoever to do uh, with collusion or Trump-Russia collusion. 
Not a single person. We're speaking to Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst. He has a book that is out in paperback today, so perfect timing here. It's a bestseller. You should check it out. The Russia Hoax, the illicit scheme to clear Hillary Clinton and frame Donald Trump. Greg, uh, tell me about the we, we opened this up with Trump last night saying the real collusion was with the Democrats and Russia. How, where do you take that? How do you make that case? Well, I make that argument in my book uh, that Hillary Clinton paid for Russian information that, you know, she hid through a scheme that's akin to money laundering. Um, She then fed that Russian information to the FBI and the Department of Justice. They knew it was dubious, if not totally fabricated. They didn't care. They used it as a pretext to launch the investigation of Trump. Uh, and then to seek a warrant to spy on his campaign. They never had probable cause. They didn't have credible evidence. Um, and, and so they ignored all the rules that I explain in the book uh, that, are, that govern their activities at the FBI and the Department of Justice. They lied to the FISA court, perpetrated a fraud. I mean, the only uh, people who committed serious crimes related to Russia would be the FBI and the Department of Justice, people like James Comey and Andrew McCabe and, you know, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and the machinations of Bruce Orr and Sally Yates over at the Department of Justice. And, you know, these are the people who should be held accountable. Uh, So there really was no Trump-Russia collusion. It was all a hoax, but there was Clinton-Russia FBI collusion. Now, to your point about accountability, Greg, I I remember getting a lot, you know, years back, getting a lot of, of heat from from listeners and viewers when I said, guys, the day Obama won re-election was the day that any hope for accountability on Benghazi went away. And people got very mad at me, and I was basically right. Uh, because I knew that once they were in, you know, once that regime had stayed in place and, you know, that Obama was going to make sure and and that the people that were supposed to look into these things, it was just it was never going to happen. There was never going to be real accountability with the people in power staying in power that had allowed that uh, terrible debacle to occur. Uh, I'm concerned that a lot of people, uh, a lot of people on the the right now, a lot of conservatives and honestly, just a lot of concerned Americans across the country look at the situation and and are going to say, okay, well, we should breathe a sigh of relief here. There's no collusion they could prove against Trump. When what I want is, and this goes to what you were just saying, I want Sally Yates answering some real questions here. I want senior FBI officials that clearly abuse their authority answering some questions. Do you think that we will get there? I mean, why hasn't Trump released some of the information that he told me three or four months ago he was going to release about the origins of the Russia collusion investigation, about different FISA processes, you know, where do you see that going? He still needs to declassify those documents, which would shed enormous light on how law enforcers became the law breakers. Um, and yes, I, I do believe that uh, Attorney General William Barr will reexamine the conduct of these individuals with the FBI and the Department of Justice. He well knows that they have lost credibility. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that their good name and reputation has been sullied by the acts of people like James Comey and Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, under 
Barack Obama, the Department of Justice, became the most political organization in Washington. And it operated very much like an organized crime family uh, with, with the conduct of people like Eric Holder and uh, Loretta Lynch and James Comey at the FBI. Um, it's unconscionable. It's wrong. But this is what Donald Trump was talking about when he said he was going to drain the, str- the swamp. Unfortunately, you know, the swamp didn't want to be drained, so they conspired to frame Trump for something he didn't do. The book is The Russia Hoax, The Illicit Scheme to Clear Hillary Clinton and Frame Donald Trump. It lays it all out in detail, and we're going to be coming to an interesting chapter, if not conclusion, in, well, at least the Russia hoax from the Mueller probe uh, pretty soon here. So definitely a book worth picking up. Greg Jarrett, thanks so much, man, for making the time, and uh, continued good luck on the book. Buck, thanks very much. Good to be with you today. We'll be right back, team. Everywhere socialism has been... Everywhere it's been implemented, it's produced poverty, misery, repression, and despair. You take a look, no matter where. Yet there are those trying to implement socialism right here in the United States. So I again say to you, and I say it for the world to hear, America will never be a socialist country. Never. Never. born free, we will live free, and we will die free. We will always be free. How many of you ever would have thought that in your lifetime, I don't mean, you know, at some, I I mean ever in your lifetime, that it would be a somewhat controversial but true statement for the President of the United States to say that the Democratic Party, the other party, is interested in instituting socialism. And and it's a fact. It's a fact. There are whole contingents of the Democratic Party that are open about it. And I would argue that on a policy level, it's what they all want. It's just a question of how honest they are about how quickly they want to get there. But this is this is now the country that we are living in. And this is remarkable stuff. I remember when during the Obama years, if you merely said that Obama was pushing a a quasi-socialist agenda, people would shut you down. They would say, that's racist. You're just trying to otherize him and otherize his ideas. I'm like, no, I just don't agree with his ideas. It has absolutely nothing to do with race. I think, I think Elizabeth Warren's socialism is every bit as stupid and a bad idea as Barack Obama's socialism. It has nothing to do with skin color. It is a vicious, stupid lie to say otherwise. But the left does a lot of vicious, stupid lying, as you know. But now we can see that there is a major divide between the parties based upon whether you are in favor of socialism or not. The left is embracing this. And I I have been now doing this. I've been in media, and I was in Intel work for seven years, and I've been in media for nine, I guess, or eight or nine now. And the entire time I've been saying and I've been a part of a movement here in conservative media trying to raise the alarm, trying to tell people that we are heading down a path towards socialism, that Democrats are pushing us there and they're saying, no, we're not. No, we're not. Do you remember? 
I don't know how many of you ever had this. If you have siblings, you know what I'm talking about, where where if you had a, an older sibling, they would sometimes take your arm and like kind of smack you with your own hand and they'd say, stop smacking yourself. Stop smacking yourself. It's a, John, do you know what I'm talking about? People do this. Yeah, of course. Right. And it's really it's it's infuriating and demeaning, but like you don't actually get hurt, but you get really angry. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. That's been the Democrats in power in this country with with socialism. Oh, America, stop, stop doing more socialism. Why are you doing more socialism to yourself? You don't want to. You know, and now they're just saying, oh, yeah, no, I'm slapping you in the face with my socialism. I am slapping you in the face with my socialism. And that's what the that's that's now a rallying cry for Democrats. It has transitioned so quickly. And this is why the the lunacy of the Green New Deal has been, I think, such a wake up call because they could get away with all of this, just just this anti-Trump insanity for only so long before. Okay, you hate Trump. We get it. You think the Trump is literally worse than Hitler. We get it. What are you going to do, Democrats? And now that they have to actually say things, we realize, oh, that's right. The Democrats are crazy, crazy, not normal. Not rational, not reasonable, okay? The Democrat left has gone bye-bye, has gone into some other some other universe with what they think this country should be and what it should do and what would work in this country. And that's why Trump's mockery, I think, is is essential here because it's not enough to just meet them on the battlefield of ideas. They also, they are their ideas now are deserving of ridicule. The idea, these are these are ideas that deserve to be made fun of. You know, we, we can argue about, you know, whether the marginal tax rate that would spur the most growth is, you know, 37 percent or 25 percent or, you know, there's a right answer and a wrong answer, but at least there's a debate to be had about it. There's no debate with some of the stuff that they're talking about, or rather, if we're going to have to debate them, it's not enough to just say why they're wrong. We have to now, and I'm just telling you, we have to understand this and engage on this. We have to say, here's why you're wrong, comma, and by the way, you're crazy. This is not like a close call. This is not an, oh, almost maybe sort of policy dispute. This is, you have, you're a wacko. And the Green New Deal is a wake-up call about the left's wacko. And Trump went after it last night. Play clip eight. Last week, they introduced a massive government takeover that would destroy our incredible economic gains. They introduced the so-called Green New Deal. It sounds like a high school term paper that got a low mark. It would shut down American energy, which I don't think the people in Texas are going to be happy with that. It would shut down a little thing called air travel. How do you take a train to Europe? You know, this this crazy senator from Hawaii, they said, do you like it? Yes, I like it very much. Oh, really? How are we getting to Hawaii on a train? This is how we should speak about these ideas. You know, the the Romneyite approach would be, well, you know, I I suppose it's feasible to build a couple thousand miles of underground tunnel tunnel for high speed rail. And, you know, we should be respectful of their ideas. No, 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 no. 
This needs to be called out, and this needs to be ridiculed. These are bad and dangerous and silly ideas. All of those things, all of those pieces. And as we go into 2020, we need to understand that. This is not just a question of, oh, they're wrong. This is they're so wrong that they need to be made to feel the sting of their stupidity a little bit here. Global Verification Network, that is the name you have to know if you have any need for background investigations for your company, any financial due diligence you need, any vetting. These are the guys that you need to use. Go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. You'll see more information about how they are a veteran-owned and operated small business. They're headquartered in Chicago with risk mitigation experts spread out throughout the country, and they can work with your company in any industry, no matter what size your company. This is who you want to have doing the background checks for all of your new hires, all of your new employees. So for the people out there who are small to large business owners, I'm telling you, if you're not gonna do it yourself, have your HR department reach out to them. Call 877-695-1179. Again, that's 877-695-1179. Tell them Buck Sexton sent you. Tell them you're part of Team Buck. and. Uh, Make sure that you go to Global Verification Network because they leave no stone unturned. One of the reps on using your tough boss, as you know, that several stories have come out in the last week, high staff turnover in the Senate. What do you think is fair about that criticism and what have you learned from it? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I love my staff. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am and we wouldn't be able to pass all those bills and do all that work if we didn't have great staff. I am tough. I push people. That is true. But... My point is, is that I have high expectations for myself, I have high expectations for the people that work for me, and I have high expectations for this country. Amy Klobuchar, senator from uh, Minnesota, she, she has quite the interesting way of referring to her abusive and quasi-psychotic approach to her staff. High expectations. Let me tell you something, okay? This woman is a nightmare. I don't know personally... And I, so I, I wish I could tell you that I've dealt with her. I've never even met her, never interviewed her. But I know other people here in D.C. who do know her, who have worked with her, and they say she is a nightmare. Let me also just reach a little bit here into the intelligence analyst bag of tricks and tell you that the the response to stories about you as a now presidential candidate for the Democrats and why this person She's just trying to raise her profile. And I mean, she, is, she has no hope of being president. I mean, absolutely. It's, it's a delusional move for her to even be in, in, the, in the running. But for her to come forward and all these stories that come out about how she is really, uh, really nasty to her staff. You got more than a dozen current and former staffers have come forward to say that she, uh, she quote, this is from a Mediaite had a work environment that was run on fear, abuse, and humiliation. Staffers say the overly critical senator would sometimes turn a single mistake into a multi-day affair of shaming and demeaning, followed by post-work angry late-night phone calls and all-caps emails. The way she treats staff is disqualifying, said a former, uh, former female staffer, who made it clear that Klobuchar has fully earned a reputation as a horrible boss independent of her gender, end quote. What did I tell you yesterday? I mean, this story, there's a lot more out today, but this, whenever somebody plays the gender card on why people hate them as a boss, um, you know that they're a terrible boss. I'm just, I'm just speaking the truth because nobody cares what your gender is as a boss. They just care if you're good. 
They care if you're good to them, if you treat them well, if you're fair. That's all anybody cares about. There's no sane human being who's like, well, uh, my boss is fantastic at his or her job, but because it's a her, I, I, I think that she's too aggressive, whereas she would be fine. That's, that's a, this is a myth. This is a myth. It's like the pay gap. It's also a myth. Uh, the, well, the, w- the way they explain, oh, no, the way they explain the pay gap, it's not a gender uh, a gender discrimination issue. It's a life choices and skill set issue. I know. Oh, no, Buck, what are you doing? You're crazy. No, I'm, I, I know what I'm talking about. Believe it or not. Um, but she's horrible. I mean, this much is what's clear. She's a horrible person. And you get all these Democrats that come forward and you're seeing this the last couple of weeks. I mean, these Democrats that have been they've been talking about what a what a fraud, a liar, an idiot, a nasty person, gutter discourse, all the all this stuff they say about Trump. How many Democrats? You got Democrats wearing blackface and lying about it. Democrats accused of raping multiple women, lying about it, saying horrible things about those women after the accusations. Klobuchar completely mistreats her staff and is horrible. Like you just. All this in just the last couple of weeks. Elizabeth Warren, delusional, thinks she's a Native American when she's not. Lied about not advancing herself when we know she did. These are the. This is what we are offered as an alternative to Trump. We're supposed to take the people that were, you know, vote Evan McMullen. We're supposed to listen to them. I'm gonna get into. By the way, I'm gonna get into that in in a couple of minutes. That's a whole other thing. I got some. We got to talk. These never Trumpers. We got to have a talk to these never Trumpers. Um. But you can just tell from the way that Klobuchar is handling these different stories that the stories are true. <laughs> that's that's what really comes forward here, uh, because you know the answer to if somebody said uh, Buck Sexton uh, mistreats, you know, if somebody accused me, if somebody wrote a story, Buck Sexton mistreats people who work at at, at thehill.com. He's nasty to the staff on his show and everything else. I wouldn't say, well, yeah, I mean, I would say that's a lie. I treat everybody on my staff really well, and they know that. And every single one of them also would come forward, I believe, and would say that publicly. But I, I would just, I wouldn't say like, well, there were some times when I was a little hard on. No, I'd say I'm always respectful and professional to everybody in the Hill. That has been my, man, that's my situation, you know. Other than the code reds that I give to uh, producer Mike when he's smoking cigarettes outside with pretty ladies, which, which he doesn't technically do because he doesn't smoke cigarettes, but uh, you know, I treat the staff very well. So the fact that she comes out and her response is not these, these reports are baseless. I've never done this, that it's, I have high expectations for my staff. You know, she's one of these maniacal stop it. Nothing justify it all with your victimology narrative. Oh, it's I'm, I'm oppressed because of my gender. You know, she is the worst I don't even know her. I can just tell you from from reading about her and knowing. I mean, just the same way that I knew that Kasich was the worst until I met him, and then I'm like, wow, this guy really is the worst. See, Kasich is a dude. I'm I'm equal opportunity. I trash trash bags. I enjoy it. I speak the truth about human dumpster fires who are horrible to people, and I enjoy it. Uh, this is also why you'll notice that the people that I go after on this show in the media are overwhelmingly not all, but overwhelmingly known to be terrible to other colleagues in media and to their staffs. Terrible. You know, some of them are even known to quote go bananas end quote at their staff at CNN because of some issues in the prompter <coughs> Jake Tapper. So, you know, 
I, I when I when I have a problem with people that sounds personal, it's usually because my assessment is or my knowledge of them, which is true of the last individual, is that they're not nice, not good people. Um, and and I like to share with you what is the truth. Klobuchar, I don't know personally, but I, I it's all there, man. She's a nightmare. And this was the most the most terrible thing I read about her. And there's a lot of stuff. There's I mean, she oh, let me give you some of the fun. Uh, she used to have her staff. Remember, she's a Senate staffer. Uh, have her staff run personal errands for her, pick up her dry cleaning, pack her suitcases for travel, even clean and wash dishes at her house. And then this is the this is the truly line crossing, vile, despicable thing that I will never let this go. And I and I'm the Huffington Post is I mean everyone's writing this. They, they she's she's done. I mean she's finished before she even started with her president. And she should be. I mean she's a bad she's a nasty person. There's no excuse for being a nasty person, especially to your staff. You're a United States senator. You know you're making. 200 some odd grand a year, I think. You got a staff all paid for by the taxpayer, all kinds of benefits. You're so privileged and lucky to have that position. She's such a mediocrity to begin with, just somebody that played the system the right way to get where she is. And she's going to be mean to the people that work for her. They're trying to make her better at what she does, trying to help her. I have no I have no tolerance for what I hate bullies and I hate abusive bosses. Absolutely hate it. And you can tell us why I'm talking about the show because I've. I've had great bosses. I've had terrible bosses in the government and in the media. And, you know, great bosses, great bosses actually, or even just good. I don't need a great boss. I just need a good boss, a decent boss, a competent and fair boss. That's all I need. That's all I really ask for. I've had more of those in media than not, but not all. And I've had a couple of terrible, when I say bosses, I I mean people in the management chain too, right? Not the, the boss boss, but people that, you know, have some sort of authority over what you're doing. I, I've interacted with some terrible ones. In the government, it was everything. I mean, and those of you who I'm sh- I've spoken to tons of friends on the military side who will say this, and I know it's true on the intelligence uh, agency side, your boss is like everything. Uh, it's the number one reason, I believe, cited by people inside of government that they leave their position or they leave government altogether is a bad first-line manager. Because they just, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, what are you up to? Why do you do this? Why do you, you know, just the, the mi- micromanagement. Micromanagement is the professional equivalent of nagging at home. And nagging is really just a gateway to unappreciated at home. And unappreciated is the number one reason men cite for why they actually cheat in relationships. Not that they just found someone else that's so sexy. It's they feel un appreciated and nagging adds to that micromanaging is also a a a pathway to feeling unappreciated in an office environment if you're getting what are you doing what are you doing why do you this why do you this on you all the time never telling you what you do well always just just nitpicking on nonsense it's totally toxic and klobuchar does that and then also just being mean to people but beyond that my my favorite detail about this clearly heinous woman is that when people try to leave her employment she has and this is from the huffington post this is reported openly by liberal by liberal media outlets she will if she can she will find out where they are going and trash them to that new employer so the offer will be rescinded and they have no choice but to keep working for her 
that these stories did not come out until she was running for president and the Democrat media, which was sitting on this the whole time. They like her as a female senator from Virginia. I mean, from uh, not Virginia, from Minnesota, you see. They like her in that role, so they'll cover for her. But they don't like her crowding the field with Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren and, you know, so on and so forth. They don't like that. So now the truth can finally come out. Now they'll finally let it let it out there. Ooh, Klobuchar, man, really in the in the pantheon of horrible bosses. We'll be right back. Oh, what about the AARP, you might say? I've heard of that, right? People are in AARP. That's the thing. Well, yeah, it's a seniors organization. It's pretty well known. But is it known to you that AARP is a left wing political organization in a lot of ways? They fought hard for government run health care. That's right. They're pro Obamacare. Forget that nonsense. If you want to join a seniors organization that represents you and your values and gets you great benefits, go with the conservative alternative. I recommend AMAC. Why AMAC? Well, first of all, your investment in AMAC allows AMAC to act for policy that's good for America. And over 1.5 million Americans have already joined. That number is growing all the time, including a lot of people in this audience. Please check them out. Stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight. Become a member today. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better. Better for you, better for America. I see some never-Trumpers are coming around to the light. Uh, I see some never-Trumpers are understanding perhaps better now than they did before what the real battle is, what the real fight is that lies ahead. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased. And I will say, I always take the approach that we should welcome any, any conservatives who have, and I don't care what they've said about Trump in the past. If they understand now the stakes and they want to be Trump supporters, I do not endorse people saying, well, what about what you said in 2016? No, we, we, we want... We, People on our side, coming to our side. Trump, look, Trump's going to need the help. Even if you think he's a lock for 2020, which I wouldn't say he's a lock. I think he's looking good so far. I'm going to say this now, and we may have to replay this clip at some point later on in the show. My only fear for Trump in 2020, it's not the candidates, it's not the wall, it's not any of that. Because I think he's, I think he's, he's executing, he's starting to execute at a level where the base and and the original Trump voters are going to come back and they're going to be with him. My concern is essentially a replay of 2008 when structural economic issues come roaring to the forefront and Trump gets blamed for what could be even a temporary, maybe it's only a, you know, a, a, a 12 month long dip or recession or whatever. But if the timing of that is bad, I think Trump is in trouble because that shatters the narrative of his competence that we've seen so far working so very well. Anyway, put that aside for a moment. We're going to need all of the folks on the right, on our side that we can get going into 2020. And also, I think that as conservatives, we should always have uh, the the humility to evaluate and reevaluate our positions. We should not be dogmatic. We are not brainless, spoon-fed talking points ideologues i leave that to the left i leave that to the you know whose streets our streets occupy wall street i mean i leave that to them i have no you know 
no justice, no peace, right? All that stuff. That's that's for them. I let the left do that. I don't I don't want to go there. And I, I would just say that, um, you know, the way that it's going right now with some of these, oh, the never Trumper I'm thinking of, and this is what brings me to this, is, you know, Eric Erickson, who was a leader of the never Trump movement in 2016. And he's written a column now where he said, quote, I still struggle on the character issue. And I understand Christian friends who would rather sit out than get involved. But I also recognize that we cannot have the Trump administration with policies without President Trump. And there is much to like. God bless Eric Erickson. You know, um, first of all, he's always from from my interactions with him. He's always been a, a, a thoughtful and civil and decent guy. I don't know him well. I've actually never met him in person. I've just interacted with him in media world. Um, but. You know, I've I've never had I've never gotten a, a a bad I've never had a bad exchange with him, and I've heard good things about him. People that work with him, uh, but you know, I think you know, it took him a while to come to this conclusion. I'm just happy he's coming to this conclusion. And I see my friend over at the New York Post, the very talented writer, uh, uh, Sarab Amari, who you've heard I've had him on the show before. Uh, he's an Iranian American, very talented writer, very smart guy. Was at the Wall Street Journal, not the New York Post, because I mean we have like the smartest guests on this show. I'm just saying. Um, but I, I saw that he he wrote he actually shared a Rich Lowry piece about the endorsement of infanticide in New York, and Sarab tweeted out today why I have lost patience with the Romneyism and civility conservatism of diehard Never Trumpers. Couldn't agree more, Sarab. Wake up, never Trumpers. No one is saying you have to endorse Trump's infidelity or endorse every tweet. I mean, that's a straw man. No one says that. But this is what we got. You've got a president right now who is standing athwart left-wing efforts to openly socialize our economy, to turn this into a socialist dystopia, to legalize infanticide, to create open borders, as we've been talking about at length on this show, to, I mean, you just go down the list. Oh, what? You th- you think that, I mean, I mean uh, who's that? I don't even remember the guy's name. Who read Evan, Evan McMullen? You think he's going to protect us from this? It's ego that drives, oh, I'm sorry, but it's true. It drives a lot of this never-Trumper nonsense. I don't sit here and tell you that every Trump tweet is amazing, although I do really like a lot of what Trump does. And says, by the way, I thought he was great last night at the rally. I think it's great that he takes the media to task. The media is a corrupt institution, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Democratic Party. Okay, 10% of media is conservative. 90% is liberal. This is insane. But, you know, for for Eric, I'm hoping this is the, the, the dam is breaking now because I'm telling you, there are a lot of there are Trojan horses. There are people who were never really that conservative to begin with, but they thought that, you know, Romney was going to win and they kind of rode the McCain train for a while back in the day. And, you know, they're part of the pundit consultant media class. And when Trump won and they didn't get to play with their favorite toy anymore, they just wanted to kick sand at people and leave the sandbox. They didn't want to play ball. I'm not okay with that. There's too much at stake here. I mean, Democrats are openly lying about legalizing infanticide. They can try to spin this. They want to legalize infanticide. That is what they're doing. They're not that smart. They're not that clever. I understand what they're doing. And it's abhorrent. 
Trump is putting judges on the Supreme Court and judges in federal and federal uh, courtrooms across the country who at least will try to stop this stuff. He's deregulating. He's cutting taxes. He's trying to get actual border security and he doesn't hate business and he's not some social justice, intersectional identity politics shill. You know, I, I think the guy deserves some credit. And, you know, Eric Erickson and anybody else who wants to wants to be a part of Trump 2020, I say, God bless and jump in. The water is warm, man. Can't wait to have you. So I'm going to update you all on this Jussie Smollett alleged hate crime debacle in Chicago. This is MAGA country, he claims the two rednecks in the middle of Chicago said. I mean, it's not... I can't say it definitely didn't happen. I can just tell you it almost definitely didn't happen. Uh, but I, I've got some new details on that. I, the media is dropping that story like like a hot potato, man. They don't want any part of it. I will tell you that uh, I'm not going to drop it because I had some of the blue check mafia come after me with, why do you not believe him? Because it's not a credible story, you, you imbeciles. Uh, but I also just want to say that we just got our last uh, our last numbers in for uh, for the radio show. They break it down by every we have we have ratings for every station across the country. And while every single one of you listening, I, I, I find all of you precious and appreciate every one of you that gives me your time, including, of course, our wonderful podcast team, which is growing by tens of thousands. Um, uh, I, I also just want to say a thank you, though, specifically to. Uh, KFAB out in Omaha, Nebraska, KLBJ in Austin, and WoWo in Fort Wayne, Indiana, three stations that have just become real uh, stalwarts for us. I mean, we've got such uh, such great audience growth in those areas and, and people really coming out to listen to the show. So if you are part of that, I just want to let you know, it is, it is noticed. It's noticed all over the country, but those, those three uh, stations and those three metro areas in particular were really... Uh, thankful for all the growth that we've seen. But those of you listening out in KEIB Los Angeles, and I could just rattle off all the stations all across the country are are, are obviously really helping us out. But I uh, want to just give a quick shout out there. And let me also just say uh, the Jussie Smollett story. So here's the latest detail on this one. Chicago police say Jussie Smollett gave insufficient phone records that were heavily redacted and do not prove he was talking to his manager at the time of the racist homophobic attack. Okay, I don't need much time to break this down. How did I know this guy, beyond the lack of just a credible story that he had, how did I have a feeling here, a real indication that he was lying? And when the police asked him for his phone, yes, from a civil rights perspective, from a, I understand, you know, you can, you can say, well, the police don't have a warrant, I'm not going to give them my phone, that's fine, but... If the if someone breaks into your house, do you say you police you can't enter without a warrant? No, you're a victim. You want you want you understand that you're in a victim status, not in a being investigated status. This guy Smollett, who claims that they threw a noose at two individuals that no one's ever found, no one knows what they look like, never caught on video, threw a noose around his neck, threw bleach on him, and lightly bruised his face and like a rib a little bit. Uh, and, and he walked around with this noose on and went home with a noose on the whole thing and happened to be out of surveillance camera range when it happens. Anyway, the police said, can we have your phone just to verify? Cause you said you were on the phone with your manager. We're just kind of verify facts. He said, no, you can't have my phone. 
Okay, well, now these people have said, well, that's kind of weird, dude. It's legal, but it's weird. And now they've said, all right, well, just give us your phone records. Now he has submitted redacted phone records to the police. What is that? You're just like blacking out lines in your phone record? And the phone records don't even prove he was on the on the phone with his manager. So someone won't explain that to me? Oh, I have an explanation. He's lying. Unless there's another explanation somebody else wants to throw out there. Does that anybody else want to give you something else here? Just just waiting. I'm waiting. Roll calls up next. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for roll call. Roll call time, everybody. It's really one of the most fun parts of the show. You can always tell my, my energy picks up a little because I get to hear from all of you, which means that I get to be in a reactive mode instead of a constructive mode, which is always more fun. Um, let's get to it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And uh, that's where I hope you will send me all of your messages, all of your thoughts on the things. And here we go. Dale writes, The Marshall Island Lie. Lockheed Martin recently built a massive state-of-the-art radar facility on the island of Kwajalein along with a brand-new diesel power plant. Why would the government spend hundreds of millions of dollars if the sea levels are going to raise above the island in 15 years? They wouldn't. This is just another example of climate change hysteria. Dale... I've said this before, and I know that people, they, they act like I'm, it must be some kind of oversimplification or I'm trying to be glib or I'm kidding. I will believe the climate change catastrophists when they will sell me beachfront property in Malibu. And remember, there are homes in Malibu that are on the beach. OK, they are right on the beach. You walk, you know, 20 yards and you're in the ocean. I will believe the climate change alarmists when they will sell me what are now $10 million beachfront homes for pennies on the dollar. Then I'll believe them. So it's not really that hard. Sell me your Malibu beachfront property at a pennies on the dollar rate. You know, I could probably I could probably scratch together, you know, with a little loan from a bank, maybe maybe 100K. I'll take that $10 million off your prop off your hands, rather that $10 million property for a hundred K that sounds, that sounds good to me. Will I have to pay some very high insurance rates? Sure. But I'll figure that out. Always look at where people are putting their money. It's a lot, It's very easy to say things when people put their money on things or in things, when it affects them directly, then you know how they really feel. Douglas writes, you want to learn a country music? Go to YouTube for five songs. To understand country music fans, you need Willie Nelson, My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys, Toby Keith, courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. I actually know that song. To understand men and women, you need David Allen Cole, Stand By Your Man, and A Little Big Town, Better Man. For the best song ever, George Jones, He Stopped Loving Her Today. Douglas, I'm going to add all of those onto my Spotify playlist Thank you very much for the suggestions, and I'm going to educate myself a bit more on country music. Uh, see, uh, some people in the conservative media world who are from 
oh, the New York area or Boston or D.C., they like to do this whole, yeah, I love country music because I'm a conservative. You know, I, I don't like the, the sort of patronizing nonsense. If I, I didn't grow up in Tennessee. Now, people can like music from anywhere, but country music wasn't a part of my upbringing. It wasn't a part of the, the cultural world, you know, in which I, I grew up. So when I ask about it, I want to I want to learn more about country music because it would be inauthentic for me to pretend like, oh, I just love, you know, there I am in my pickup truck and my and my drink and my whiskey and my wife just left me. And, you know, no, that's not my background. I want to know from people who do have country music as part of something that matters to them, that they grew up with, that they love now. I want them to tell me so that I can adopt it. I want to culturally appropriate country music. As a born and raised New Yorker, you know, that's because I, I, I'm in favor of cultural appropriation. I want to appropriate country music just like I want to appropriate from the South usage of the term y'all because it makes a lot of sense. Um, I just always think it's funny. There, there are, I see so many people that do these, especially for these industry publications. You know, these guys would be like, yes, I love I love America, the Constitution and country music. And I'm like, aren't you from? Los Angeles? I mean, I'm not saying, and by, before you write me notes, Buck, you can love country music being from anywhere. I know. I'm saying that there are people who are clearly pandering to the redder parts of the country with their, you know, I love I love country music. I'm like, eh, you drive a Maserati to work and you live in the most liberal part of the country and you're born and raised there, but I'm sure you're all about Toby Keith. Uh, anyway, David... Right. The following. Hey, Buck, heard someone mention jujitsu to you a few days ago. I think you find it would be an excellent self-defense program. Would also be good for Miss Molly as it was developed to allow a smaller person to win against a larger person. I know you have limited time. You should check out the Gracie Academy online. There is some good information about the programs they offer there. Good luck and see you on the mat, Doc. Hey, man, thank you. I, I Look, jujitsu, I've seen a fair amount of it done. Um, I've seen, uh, I've watched clips of it and 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 I've watched even some documentary stuff on jujitsu. It's really interesting, and, and I do think it obviously would be very effective. Uh, so there's that. Um, do I have the time to do it? I'm really just trying to get into the gym. I, my 2019 is to get enough sleep that I can get back to the gym because really it's a sleep issue. For those of you out there, you know, as we're going into the last phase here of flu season, which you never want to get February flu because you're close to the you're close to the finish line here, and you know you don't want to get wrecked with a week of flu, which is happening to people that I know. And the most important part of immunity, I had to explain this to a colleague at work who told me that he wasn't getting enough sleep. The most important part of of immunity for your average person, okay? I mean, obviously you need white blood cells and T cells. I'm not saying that, but sleep. You have to get enough sleep. I know people think that they're like a hero if they only get five hours of sleep a night and they get up early in the morning and they run, they work, putting a lot of stress on your system. You really, eight hours is preferable. Seven is a minimum. Anything less than seven, you're putting, I don't care who you are, you're putting strain on your system that is going to manifest itself in other ways. So getting more sleep is is key for all of you out there. And it's one of the more important things that we could, I think, all focus on. And naps are good. Siesta is nice, but you really need contiguous, uh, you know, R R E M sleep. Uh, you need to get into that stuff. Liana writes, I highly recommend two documentaries by Curtis Bowers, an Idaho legislator exposing how Americans have been slowly manipulated into going along with leftist ideas that will destroy our country. 
agenda grinding down and uh, grinding America down rather and agenda two masters of deceit available on Amazon. Have you seen either one of these very eye opening for people who aren't really paying attention? Leanna, not only have I not seen either one of those, I have never heard of either one of those. So I'm certainly interested in your suggestion and uh, I will check it out. Thank you very much for sending me your thoughts. Uh, Jeremy writes, I've heard it said that the music that most influenced your life and that you enjoy the most is what you listen to between 15 and 25. I'm your age and love country music from the 90s. Garth Brooks is still a favorite. Shields high. Jeremy, I'm familiar with some of Garth's stuff. Um, I, I've definitely had, I've had mixtapes. That'll tell you how old I am. Uh, that had Garth Brooks on it. But in terms of your real kind of main country music stuff, I don't have much in the way of uh, background or uh, or knowledge. So, indeed. Uh, by the way, I had to. I, I got a confession for you guys. I had to shave the beard, and not because I didn't like it. I actually like it a lot. I, I like not having to shave. I think you know it's it's fun to see the red hairs and the white hairs and it all mixing together there. I'm and the beard was starting to come in pretty nice, but it was a little long around the, on the uh, at the top around the lip. And it was starting to like actually irritate the skin around the lip a little bit because it got so long. So I was I should have gotten uh, scissors. Instead, I took a clipper like an idiot. I know you can make fun. Make fun of me. This was a bozo weak sauce move. I took the clippers, though, last night before I went to bed. And I and I kind of went and, you know, clippers, you got to kind of like push a little more. And, and it, it's a little Less, especially I don't have fancy clippers. You know, you got to kind of get after it a little bit more to actually get it to cut hair. And I essentially took a chunk out of my, what would be the kind of mustache portion on the left. And then I was like, well, now I look like an, now I look like an imbecile. So I'm going to need to even this out. So then I had to go on the right side and I went, I went up and I was like, well, this is great. Now it's even. And I look like Hitler with mutton chops. So I didn't want to look like Hitler with mutton chops. So I just had to shave it all off. Uh, and it's gonna, and I'm not gonna grow it out again. Not that you all need to know about my facial hair situation, but if you saw me on on Hill TV today, for example, you'd be like, "What happened to the beard?" And I like the beard; it's coming back. The beard will be back. Brant writes, "Hey, Buck Shields High. Oh, whoa, long message. I was at the Trump rally in El Paso last night. I was standing very close to the press pool on the floor and saw the aftermath of that pair of." Uh, clown shows shoving the BBC reporter. Well, I agree with most Trump policy with most Trump policy issues and the very apparent bias the media displays day in and day out. I would like to express after seeing it firsthand that I would be nervous as a journalist. The truth of the matter is there were 6,500 plus people in that arena and you're guaranteed to have one or two idiots in that kind of a crowd. Don Jr. and Trump himself hammered the media, uh, hammered on the media while indicating through gestures directly at them This is just my opinion, but I must add, it seems like he's playing with fire. I would like to apologize to the journalist on on behalf of the other 6,499 people that attended the rally in the arena. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a sympathizer for the media. It just seems there has to be a better way. Curious on your thoughts, Brent. Brent, I'll be honest with you, my friend. Um, I I don't even know. I I saw some stuff on this story, but I uh, I would be exceeding my knowledge to pretend that I really know anything about what happened in this instance so that's my way of saying i will look into it and if i have any any thoughts i will uh share them with you for sure 
let's see what we have here. Um, whoops. TJ writes, damn it, Buck. No country? Really? Hey, at least I'm, uh, TJ, at least I'm honest with you, right? At least I'm not some city slicker who pretends to be some guy who, you know, I'm a city slicker who grew up fishing, hunting, shooting. So all that is legit. I mean, there are photos. Some of you have seen me from when I was, I, I have photos of me at the range when I'm 10 years old uh, that I've, I've posted online before. I have photos of me fishing when I'm a, well, probably five or six years old with my dad and my brothers. Uh, so all that's that's in my past. That's in my life. That's been a, a, a part of my life. Country is not something that I it's not that I don't like it. I have not been exposed to much of it. Um, I grew up in New York City when everybody listened to hip hop. I mean, if I could give you two bands or two acts, I should say, that typified what you would hear when I was in high school, it was all you're going to laugh a lot of Oasis and a lot of Notorious B.I.G. That was like, you were either an Oasis person or a Notorious B.I.G. or both, but those were the those were the kinds of, of acts that you spent a lot of time on. Anyway, TJ writes, here's a couple I really enjoy. Eric Church, it's always a go-to. Justin Moore, look up his song, Guns, you'll love it. Cody Johnson, he is Red Dirt Country, I don't know what that means. And Whiskey Myers, TJ, I'm adding them all to the Spotify playlist, my friend. Thank you so much for sending it along. Team, that's going to be our wonderful show from the Freedom Hut, D.C. Until tomorrow, when we have another fantastic show, Shields High. You don't have to use some liberal, left-wing, progressive email service that makes sure that they have fancier nap rooms in Silicon Valley and, you know, more giant balls to roll around on during yoga time, right? You can go with a conservative alternative, a conservative email service. That's why I recommend iPatriots.us. iPatriots.us is secure. It's private and includes all the stuff you want, larger attachment sizes, better cloud storage, more cloud storage, and your email and files are safe. And by the way, not shared with third parties. And the money that you pay to iPatriots.us does not go to support liberal agenda items. You need to check them out. New offer today for iPatriots.us. Enter promo code BUCK Sign up for month-to-month service today and get the first month totally free. You won't be charged until your second month of service at the specified month-to-month rate. You can cancel anytime, and you can pick your desired iPatriots email address during checkout. Go to iPatriots.us now.